Well, NAC hacks are over, the Terminal Mile Cups have been handed out, athletes are either resting up or starting their cross-country build. This is a time for reflection, and for the really good ones, a time to take stock of what they've earned and what they can carry with them. On this week's show, we take a look back at Steph Aldea's season that was, from making the national 1500 meter finals to winning London's 1500 meter night, it's been a standout for this University of Windsor Athletics Club runner. That's coming up. But first, Chris McCashew. You may know him for helping to bring Lewis Kent, CPT, and Corey Belmore to prominence. He's on this week's show to talk athlete development, marketing, and the state of North American meets. No punches are pulled, there's a lot of knowledge dropped. I highly suggest this as a listen for athletes looking to make it in this day and age. You're listening to The Terminal Mile at The Terminal Mile on Twitter and Instagram, a Tracky Radio production. Chris McCashew is a track and field rock star, working hard for years, getting his clients into improbable places, and making stars in a field that really seems to lack them. Chris has taken on a new job now out of the sport, but his opinions are just as relevant today as they ever were. We caught up with him earlier this week. So I I know that we had this conversation a little bit earlier this week, but I think it's on a lot of people's minds, uh, you know, especially with the meet that happened this, this past Saturday or this past weekend in Toronto. You know, I, I want to get your opinion on this because we had a guy who was top three in the country, um, rankings wise and he was not at this meet he probably could have desperately used a little more international experience but instead he was across the country running a beer mile who is that most detrimental to is that most detrimental to you know our our nation and you know like future future meets because he definitely will be there or is that more detrimental to the the actual runner himself well I honestly think it's how you spin things, right? And for better choice of words, I've been a professional spin artist for 15 years. And you look at it and you say to yourself, yeah, he could have been there and maybe he should have been there. But there's also someone that ran better than him as well, who finished second and both didn't achieve a standard that was in place. It's not unknown to any of the athletes looking to gain to compete at home. Yeah, sure. It would have been great for them to get a wild card if, if a system like that is in place. Um, Personally, I don't know enough to even comment to even say, you know what, there was a there was a coach's discretion component of, uh, there as well. But I don't think that's there. Maybe it's something they can look at moving forward for the, for the region if they want this to be a development kind of championship. Or maybe they want to keep this as the elite and, and have in place some really strong standards to kind of showcase the best of that what we do have in the NACAC region, similar to what they have with the Europeans. It's the best of the best show up and they're on the track and in the fields, right? And uh, I mean, that that's the harsh reality of athletics. It's a non-forgiving sport and one race can make or break you. And same with standards. I mean, some of the best athletes in Canadian history have not made Olympic teams because of standards in place. And I, I think as athletes, you look at it and you say, yeah, these are tough. Team. It almost lights a fire within you as well. And I think Corey commented very well um, in an interview with Canadian Running, saying, you know what, I learned my lesson. I'm never going to miss a team again. And I think that's going to be motivation for them. Um, it's all how you look at it. And that's what I said. If you, look, if you spin it properly, it's actually, it's a growing pain, but it's a growing pain that I think is much needed for his development. And I think next year you're going to see something special out of him. 
Well, you know, these uh, these standards that were put in were were put in by by our federation. I mean, if you look at other teams, um, say, for example, the, the Americans, they had uh, Shannon Osika there, who is an excellent miler for for the United States of America. She would not have made it to that uh, to that meet if she was a Canadian. There's no doubt that she's you know, she's on the come up. She she's running uh, in Michigan. You know, she's she's going to have a great career, you know, taking a look at. At at a meet like the the one that was this this past weekend, like who who do you think what? So I'm gonna put you in in charge of of the high performance section of Athletics Canada. What strategy sure. are you going to be employing? You know where you determine who gets to go and and who doesn't. I, I think first and foremost, and I think this is something the federation does very well, is they become very transparent on what those standards look like. I mean, I know years ago. Um, those standards were all were changing quite often, and and, and criteria, not, not just the criteria were changing, but the subjectivity of the high performance coach, or better choice of words, would take people who may not necessarily belong there. But with the new with, with, with the new team in place, um, everything's pretty black and white. Run the time, throw the distance, jump the height. There's your ticket. I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, that said, I also think when it's a like um, when the event's hosted at home in your own country if you're on the cusp of maybe doing something great or within a certain percentile of, of the standard I think it potentially deserves a second look from a head coach staff and the entire federation body saying you know what let's invest a little bit of time to this it's not going to cost us anything additionally why not give them a chance and see what happens and I think someone like Corey could have benefited from the experience. Um, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other athletes as well that could have maybe rounded up the fields as well to have more local content in there. And that may be missing with the sport here in Canada is how do we encourage our, our talent to stay home and, and want to compete? I mean, we see a lot of athletes going abroad to compete in, we'll say, subpar meets in, in Europe. The, uh, the opportunities are here to compete. Why not do it? But sometimes you just don't have the, uh, they don't want to stay here for reasons like this. And, unfortunate but I, I again I, I think you know on behalf of Athletics Canada I, mean, I don't work for them but I think they did a great job of communicating those standards and put it all in place to win nationals or get a time pretty simple for sure you know take a look at, at, at something like NACAX there's I mean I guess there, there's two components to it um, Athletics Canada I, and Toronto I'm, I'm sure they want to make their investment back uh, and that involves putting butts in seats so you you almost have two very different competing things where you have someone like and I know that we've been relying on him pretty heavily but I know you're involved with with his career so far you know pretty well too but in, in the case of Corey Corey would attract people he would put butts in seats he would bring a crowd with him um I have to wonder, you know, is is there a battle when you're putting on, you know, track meet, you know, entertainment value versus high performance value? Do they have to be enemies of each other or can you kind of combine them and, and make them work together? Well, I, I think there's even an easier solution to it all. And it's easy to, to, to throw the or the LOC or the, the, whoever picked the date of NACAC and the venue under the bus. But um, you often hear athletes, and this is something that I heard a recurring message throughout the entire championships when the Canadians were being interviewed, saying we wanted to compete at home for our fans. Um, and I think this is what sparked a little bit of controversy in my tweets. But as an athlete who wants to get out there in front of their fans, they should also be doing some self-promotion. I mean, let's use our own social media facets and channels to, to do some outreach. 
why can't I run a contest with one of my sponsors for free tickets? I'm, I'm sure people would want to get engaged at that. And then you're starting to do a little thing called storytelling. Build your brand and we'll get more people out there. And I mean, someone like Corey does it very well. He understands the value of social media. And to be honest, if we use that, his social media play to get him into Adidas. And obviously there was, there was some of the European needs were looking at his social media as well as an asset. And the Diamond League did a feature on him for a reason. It wasn't because... Uh, He's just another miler because he had this crazy back end story of the world record beer mile holder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's ways of telling those stories properly and communicating them efficiently. That makes a guy like Corey an asset, regardless if he's running, uh, I'll make up numbers here, <laughs> four minute mile or 356 mile. Um, yeah, he could have put bums in his seats 100%. That said, I think as a whole, most of the athletes competing there, whether they've been Canadians or Americans, I think they did a poor job promoting themselves and pushing fans to want to come out because at the end of the day, the Federation or the LOC's job is to put on a great meet at the best that they can. You know, in other sports, people are now doing social saying, come out and watch us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. You know, we were, we were talking beforehand about, uh, you know, some, some of the folks that you've helped out along the way, uh, including, you know, CPT, Lewis Kent, uh, Corey Belmore. Those are names that are all very familiar. Um, and I would like to think part of that is is by design as well, too. But, you know, some of the most captivating people in distance running in Canada right now uh, are guys that, that you've helped out along the way. Um, you know, maybe maybe. I realize that this is a business, but maybe you could, you know, throw out a couple of, of cheap and easy pointers that uh, that maybe some, some of these athletes can be uh, using to their advantage to make themselves more marketable. Yeah, sure. And, and to be honest with you, um, a guy like Corey and Lewis and, and obviously Chuck as well, CPT, they, they, they came in at the right time. Um, I learned a lot in the early days of our agency um, with, 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 with some with some very prominent athletes like Priscilla Luxley, for example, she was our first big Canadian that really broke through and caused some damage at a global level. And I understood how telling her story properly and vehicling it through media could leverage into sponsorships. And by continuing to tell her story and have new stories come out, um, how we can continue to roll with it. And um, when who was the guy when I first introduced to Chuck, I mean, I saw this, I, I saw this kid from from Quebec City and crazy long name and something that she could market I thought properly with CPT and it was something that was already in place so it was just continuing to tell his story and before you know it he becomes a household name in the country and he's he's putting together uh, quite a little legacy for himself as, as one of the top milers in Canadian history um, fast forward a few years later Lewis Kent very similar story he called me up we had a chat next thing you know Brooks comes into play ESPN happens TMZ happens Ellen happens um, all these other great things happen. Um, the exact same model in place. Let's continue telling stories and, and, and moving the messaging properly to ensure that we're captivating new audiences. So then when Corey came in and threw down the bomb, it was a very, very easy transition for me to, to, to give him the value that he deserved as well because I had the sports entertainment side from Lewis, but I also had the sports side from the guys like CPT and some of the other athletes like Priscilla I worked with. And, and there's quite a few of them in Canada that I've had the pleasure and fortune of working with over the years. And it was just the perfect storm. So it's super interesting when you look at it. And the honestly point is keep yourself relevant. Um, brands often activate every four years around the Olympic Games, but what's saying or what's stopping an athlete from saying to themselves, you know what, I've got this many followers on Instagram. 
I've got this many followers on Facebook. I've got this many on Twitter. Let me show brands that I can bring them value that traditionally they may not even think exists. And some of the best deals I've done in the past had been social media based deals for some of these athletes. Um, like Chuck, or Chuck, uh, Lewis's reach on Instagram at one point is what helped solidify some of his best deals in place. Communicated hmm. out in his media package that was sending off to brands across the freaking world for better choice of words and be heard and, and make a point. I mean, I feel like everyone expects things to be given to them and there's a sense of entitlement with it and that frustrates me because nothing happens easily. Um, if you look at someone like Priscilla, she didn't, she didn't, she wasn't handed an Olympic bronze medal. She earned it. Mm-hmm. And the amount of work that she went, that went into her career was absolutely insane. I mean, I saw a lot of it. I witnessed it firsthand abroad and here in Canada. And she worked for every dollar she made. And you see some of the new age kids that just expect the breaks to happen. And I, th- I think there's some great role models out there right now that you're seeing living proof that, hey, you know what? Uh, you're only as good as your last race. And that was something that she always talked about. Happy to be healthy. I'm happy to be running well. But I don't know what tomorrow brings. And I think that's what I'm going to have to look at is what's the bigger picture? Yes, I'm an athlete today, but if something happens to me, how am I keeping myself relevant that brands will want to pay me? How will I keep myself relevant to go onto TV, to talk to journalists, to tell my story the way I want to tell it? And that's the biggest challenge out there. And some love it and some hate it. Some think they're great at it, but need some coaching. Some are amazing. It's an interesting mix of everything out there. And I think on the marketing side, there's so much that can be done with some of these athletes, but for, for whatever reason, they just don't want to go down that road. You know, you you mentioned earlier um, all about, you know, Canadians going over to Europe and uh, chasing that, that kind of illusion of, of bigger meets and, and faster meets and that sort yeah. of stuff. To me, to me, that kind of represents um, that there is a, a void of, of really fast meets Um in the minds of, of these people, you know, domestically, how, how can we change that? I mean, like, how can we turn this around so that, you know, our meets can be seen as a place to run fast? Well, I mean, and this is a conversation I've had for years with people and athletes and coaches and agents globally. I mean, I was fortunate enough to work in Edmonton with the Tracktown Classic. Um, I did a lot of work with the NTLV Athletics Canada. And what was put in place by the Federation was a great competitive series of races that provided Canadian athletes with one, an opportunity to compete at home without having to travel abroad. They're provided a travel stipend, hotel rooms or dorms, whatever was affordable for them meets budget. And most meets did prize money and the fields were great. I mean, one of the challenges I had specifically was filling the fields of Edmonton and a lot of people complained, well, you're only inviting internationals. It wasn't by choice. I wanted to provide Canadians with top opportunity to compete against the world best. Still a good friend of mine. Um, he wanted to do that as well. The challenge was, how do we get the Canadians to want to compete in Edmonton? I look back at some of the track records of foot field, and you look at them and you say, holy smokes, some of these. Similar to NACAC, look at some of those times, some of the Americans, I'll say some of the Americans threw down, but there were some great efforts that went down, like Perdita's track record no longer exists. Kenny Harrison took it down. Um, the women's 100-meter record went down. That's not ever going to get touched as long as I'm, I mean, I mean, I would love to see someone break it. Um, I think just to circle back with a hundred, I, I think one of the athletes who needs more credit for what she did is Crystal Emanuel. Hmm. She ran 11, 11. That alone is a world-class time. And she did it. She went to run a one, a two and a four by one. That's not a, that's not a little load to undertake by any means that, uh, 
over a two, three day meet. That's, uh, that's impressive. And I don't think anyone gave her the respect she deserves for it. Oh, for sure. She's, she's such a character too. I mean, like, you know, it's almost become this cliche of, you know, sprinters and having, having the biggest characters and, and, you know, the most marketability and stuff. But she, in in my opinion, still hasn't, hasn't received the, the thanks that she should, or, you know, the appreciation that she should. She's just, you know, not at all. She was the all-star to me of team Canada by far performance based. Just if you look at sheer numbers of what she did, rock star. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart, I was very impressed with what she accomplished. And, um, I, I'm hoping that her entire team is equally as happy as I am because it was nice to see that happen. And she's been working hard. And, um, but just even to circle back to what you were saying earlier, the, the meets that the, the NTL was there in place and it was working well. The problem we always had was funding. And this is an ongoing issue in I'll say North America hard to sell sponsorship in a space that's one not televised two not the biggest names always show up and and three if there is a big name what happens when they get hurt under the amateur sport more specifically within track and field and unfortunately I'll, I'll hate throwing Andre under the bus he's by far the most known Canadian track and field athlete the last 10 years big marketing push pushed with him through NACAC and I mean, he had no choice but to shut down his season, and it's. I mean, I hope he gets better. He's. I think he's the one that'll drive the sport to where it needs to go long term in this country. But it would be great to see others take on more of an ambassadorship role as well. So you know what? I can also contribute. And someone like Crystal has the opportunity, and there's a ton of other athletes as well with these great stories. I mean, Melissa's obviously there. She's out this year, and you know, with a new child. But there's a there's a we have a depth or a big wealth of talent right now, and. I would like to see more for them also that brands want to associate with with the local events because then it just becomes a win-win-win across the board and maybe one day we will see something like the NTL come back. I mean, I think now all we have is Jerome left and uh, the Speed Inferno or Speed River Inferno. So it, it's challenging. And and I know for a fact that uh, they did not receive any outside funding, any any you know um, anything from from the federation. Uh, as far as funding goes this year, and I definitely think that they that they're hurting from that, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think that. Yeah, that's but a good again, and, and I'm not, I don't work for the federation at all. But I say to myself, if I'm the federation, why should I be supporting all these initiatives? I mean, there, there, there's only so much money that the federation is getting from Canada B210 and funding partners. That I mean, there's there's quite a few expenses, and you have to pick and choose what's worth the battle. Now, I'm a huge fan of everything that's gone on at Speed River, and I think they have a fantastic team out there. And same with the, the crew out of Jerome, but there's going to be a model somewhere that someone can come up with saying, well, this is how we're going to drive revenue. This is how we're going to invite athletes. This is how we're going to grow our competition. This is how we're going to make it to a world challenge level. Me, This is why we're going to become a Diamond League. I mean, we were close in Edmonton. We did everything right. It's just for political reasons, <laughs> things don't always work the way you want them to go. So it becomes frustrating so much so that people like myself decide to, to, to exit from the, the sport altogether. For sure. For sure. And that's, man, it was, I, I, you know, I, everything that I say about you, you know, I totally mean, I think you're, you're one of the brightest minds as far as marketing goes in this, in this sport. And, uh, 
you know, we, we don't want to leave things totally negative with this. Um, you know, you obviously have your, your eye to the sport. Is, is there anyone or any meets in Canada who are like really doing it right that some, some of our listeners can go check out and, uh, and, you know, maybe, you know, get some, get some tips, uh, from like who, who's really doing a good job in this, in this country. In terms of the meets. Um, in, in well, terms of marketing themselves and, and all that sort of stuff. Oh God! If you want to look at athletes that market themselves well, I, I can rip them up really easily. It's super quick. Um, look at what Felicia George does. Um, me and Felicia has been a good friend of mine for a long time, and was a long time client as well. Um, she's continued to tell her story. I mean, she she took a pivot away from track, went to bobsled, took came away with a medal on the track. She's moved to the sprints. She's on the relay team. She's got a. She's got a very loyal um, audience on social, and I think that's super important that she's developed that. You see more and more guys doing it as well, and I, I think it's smart. It's kind of reverse back to what I was saying earlier: is why, if people don't know who the stars are, why will they show up? Right? If you look at hockey, for example, I have a hard time believing that the Leafs are not going to fill out, <laughs> fill, fill up the uh, Scotia Bank Arena every night. They've got an all-star team, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a team that's not so well-known, like the, I'll pick on the Florida Panthers, six to 10,000 people per game, there's a reason for it. But if you have a couple all-stars in there, things change quickly. Um, to keep on the hockey for a point, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when Pittsburgh had a hard time with attendance. Then Mario Lemieux came back. And then all of a sudden, Sidney Crosby. Then all of a sudden, brand new arena shows up and selling out the arena is not really a challenge because they've got tangible assets that they can sell and that people not necessarily identify with, but that people want to see. And with track, it's interesting because people can identify with them because anyone can go for a one mile jog. Anyone can go for a hundred meter jog. Anyone can try and throw. Anyone can jump. It's the basis of all sport, run, jump and throw. Why don't we communicate this better to the fans or to the mass market so that they say, you know what? I want to go see this. When I was in junior high, I jumped 550 or whatever it may be. Oh my goodness, Christa, uh, Christabel Netti, she jumped XYZ distance. That's impressive. And then you have a wow factor. And this has always been a challenge and something I've been very, very adamant about. And I'll say my past career uh, is we got to integrate sport entertainment. And that's where Corey and Lewis came in very well. It all of a sudden says, well, we have a mass market product. Everyone can run, everyone can drink beer. Well, how do we make athletics more exciting? Is adding new events? doing something no one's done before. I think all of those things are the right answer because right now there is no wrong answer. Sport needs an overhaul. Federations, it just there's there is no sustainable business there. Um, globally, the sport's not doing well. The stadiums aren't full like they used to be. And to kind of go back to what my my tweets were during that act, I mean, it seems since Bolt's departure, there's been a massive gap in who's the next star that's going to be marketed and, and pushed mainstream. And I don't know who that person is that's going to fill that, that fill that gap because uh, sponsorship's not getting any easier to sell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's almost like uh, I would say at this point, someone could make a pretty good business out of you know ad- advising you know all these all these athletes maybe running workshops whatever it is just because it, a lot of them aren't coming to the table with with you know appropriate ideas of, of how to. Uh, market themselves and I wouldn't say that's 100% their fault at this point you know unless they do have a marketing degree or, or something like that so it's it's tough but I think people should definitely right. be doing their, their research 
Oh, 100% they should. And like one thing I, I said to Priscilla and her coaching staff and entire team understood it as well was, and I say elite because she was number one in the world for three years and walked away or shot down her career with more than enough medals that I mean, she never needs to see one again in her life. But her job as an elite athlete was to wake up in the morning, was to eat, was to work out, was to rest, was to eat, was to work out again, was to rest. Everything else was done for her. Her marketing was run through us. Her sponsorships were run through us. Her media was run through us. Her coaching, her program, everything else ran through me and Anthony and Deza and a great group of uh, chiropractic people that worked with her and, and a great physio team. All she had to do was worry about showing up to work out and then repeating it on race day. And that's why she did as well as she did. Um, I find now we see people trying to do too much and not necessarily wanting other people to advise them on maybe something that they know better based on past or prior experience. Um, but again, to each their own. And I wish the best to every single athlete out there that's trying to make it work because if they're not doing it, no one else will do it for them. And it's the harsh reality of amateur sport. I would love to see things change and see more companies invest into individual athletes, but I don't see it happening anytime soon where uh, the Olympics, I guess at least the Olympics are coming up shortly. So there'll be some, there'll be some money distributed again. But again, on that note, ever so eight, that amount of money has, has diminished significantly through each game. So it's, it's one of those unfortunate situations and you want to do something to help at the same time. It's hard to help. I mean, it's, it's a tough one out there. You know, speaking of all this, um, it, it's funny because I would say that, that you have a fairly good uh, social media, you know, branding out there. And uh, it's only through that that I know that you are running a 5K coming up. Uh, perhaps that would be a, a great place to leave it off. How, how's the training for that coming along uh, for the grand return? You know what? Yeah, it's a massive grand return. Um, so to be honest, my wife uh, took up running last year and she was doing it for, I mean, she enjoyed it and it was something that she never had done prior. And I told her, I said, look, when you start rolling a couple together, um, I'm happy to help and run with you. So we started jogging together and, um, I'm at the point now I'm running four times a week, twice with her and twice on my own, twice on my own, a little better, uh, I will say a little more quality. Um, I have no idea what to expect. Honestly, I ran a 5k with her uh, two months ago and for her, it was a massive PB. For me, it was a jog, and I'm not trying to be an ass about it. It's just um, at one point I was a mediocre runner, so for me to run the time that we did, it wasn't it wasn't that challenging. That said, uh, coming off my last workout of whatever it was, ten quarters and a mile tempo yesterday, I, I'm feeling pretty confident. It's all going to come down to how hot it is on day of, and if I put on a singlet or not because I've still got a Fredericton Legion track club singlet at home and anyone from Fredericton will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> if that comes on, I'm either going to go for it and you'll either see something like an 18 minute 5k out of me, which would be impeccable, would be amazing. Or you're going to see a DNF. There'll be no in between. There'll be no 25 minute 5k. There'll be no 30 minute. It'll be all in or nothing. Um, right now the weather's calling for 27. So in theory, I'll go for it, but again, we'll see. It's uh, I'm doing this just for myself and, and, and to be there with my wife. So by running fast and nothing to gain by running slow, I'm just doing it for the sheer purpose of enjoying a sport that uh, I was part of for so long and community and to still be connected in some in some capacity. Well, if if, if she dies, she dies. Uh, is it, just, I, you just stole it right out of my mouth. I was <laughs> going to say if she dies, she dies, and I can guarantee you there'll be a tweet coming from my account Sunday morning around 8.15 a.m. as I leave my house heading to the course to see what's going down. And 
there's no better way to end off that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's Chris McCashew. You can uh, actually, I would highly suggest that you go find him on uh, on Twitter. He has uh, just quality tweets. Uh, you know, also all sorts of commentary and that sort of stuff. A, a real mixed bag of things. Uh, you can find him at McCashew. And if you don't know how to spell that which is a shock to me. Uh, it would be at <laughs> M-Y-C-H-A-S-I-W. Um, you know, Chris, thanks a lot for, for taking some time to be on the show, man. It's, it's always anytime. good to have you on. Anytime. I'm always happy to, to voice my opinion until people uh, decide that they no longer need me and there'll be a day that does happen. So until then, I'll continue enjoying uh, trying to provide a little bit of knowledge and insight into a world that I once knew quite a bit about. <laughs> Steph Aldea has had a great year, writing new PBs and making a national final. It's also her first year training with the University of Windsor Athletics Club and coach Gary Malloy. We chat about her year, her training, and what's up next for her. So you've had an excellent season so far. You know, you've you've had a lot of landmarks and stuff, including at uh, at the Canadian National Championships this year. Um, you know, some really big results along the way. However, I think it, we would be best served to to go back to London, to 1500 meter night. Um, that's yeah. that's where I really first saw you run really, really well. And I think that it was almost like a turning point in your season from from what I've seen and, and what I've read. Perhaps you can you can talk about that race a little bit. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I went into the meet not feeling very great either. Like my legs felt pretty heavy. I was coming off the Inferno race, uh, I think that Wednesday. So, and that race did not go well. There was a lot of wind and, you know, the girls, the front pack just went right when the gun went off and I just, I couldn't quite get my stride. And it was, I could, one of those races that I could have counted my steps, um, so I actually didn't have any expectations going into that race. And I knew that, you know, there were some big names there. A lot of, a few American girls were, came down to, hoping to run a USA qual- qualifier time. And then Kate was there and she was hoping to have a big jump. So my mindset going in was honest. I really had no expectations. I was pretty nervous. But then, you know, the gun went off and I just kind of shut my brain off and, I went in the back with my teammate Steph and we just kind of picked people off and, you know, a lap to go. I was feeling pretty good and I was gaining on people. And my coach, Gary, uh, was there at 3.50 to go and he's just kept telling me to, to keep pushing and I could get them. And with 200 to go, I just, I was surprised that no one really went with me, but I just was sprinting as hard as I could. And um, I was so happy to to win the race and to also make a time jump but it meant a lot to me that I won because of just the women that I beat and I never expected myself to be in it with 200 to go so that was a really nice surprise for me for sure so what do, what does that do to your confidence because you, you mentioned them in passing but I mean Kate Van Buskirk I think anyone who's listening yeah. to this show totally knows who she is um, you definitely yeah. would have known those those girls from Michigan as well too uh, I believe you're a former NCAA runner so you, you would have yeah. seen seen those girls before a lot and they they had very standout um, they had standout college careers so you know seeing those those people on the line and then ending up beating them. You know, like, what what did that do for your confidence? You know, it just really got me thinking, you know, to to realizing, hey, you know, like, maybe I can run this with these women just because I've idolized them for so long, for so many years. 
And when you idolize someone, they tend to just be untouchable and just this other person that is just so far ahead, right? And then when when you have an opportunity and you go for it and you really let yourself be successful, which I did that night, and I and I was with them with 200 to go, it just, I left that meet just feeling, wow, like maybe I, you know, maybe I can run with them. And maybe it's not crazy that I just categorized, you know, the top women as the group and then, okay, where I'm going to finish. But now it's just like, well, maybe if I position myself right and, and you know, and, and race smart and have some confidence and just be a brave racer, maybe I it's not completely out of the question that I can be closer to that lead pack. So that was that was really what I took from that race. And honestly, it was probably one of my the highlight of my career if I had to, you know, pinpoint a couple races that really started that really impacted me. Like that race definitely had a huge impact on me. So it was an awesome experience. So I was reading on your website um, that, you know, 410 is, is kind of what you had your eye on, going under 410. Um, I'm wondering, yeah. you know, is is that something that, that's recent to you? Or has this goal been, been there for a long time? You know, has it moved from like a long-term goal to a short-term goal now? I mean, like, how, how do you plan on attacking this? Well, usually I set goals for the beginning of the season, and I tend to be you know, pretty hard on myself, like I'm sure a lot of athletes are, or anyone who puts so much time and dedication into something. And, you know, I just, I haven't had a PB in the 15 for a couple of years now, which is a 413, um, which I ran at the beginning of, of the season in 2015. So I felt like if I could have, if I would have had more opportunities to race, then I probably would have ran right around that time. Um, and so I just, you know, going in, I just was like, all right, you know, I'm in a, I have a new coach, I have a new training group, I'm training with a lot of men, and men are obviously faster and stronger, so maybe they would push me through some of the tough workouts, and yeah, I just kind of wanted, and I'm 28 years old, you know, like I'm not 22 anymore, and if I'm dedicating myself a lot of my personal time to the sport, it's like, all right, like what are the goals, like what do you really want to accomplish, and I felt like a 410 would have been an awesome step to make this season. And, um, but I, unfortunately I wasn't able to do that, but, um, you know, I think I'm taking a lot of confidence and positive experiences from this season that I think have made me a better competitor, which is something that I, I lost kind of in the past few years. So from what what I can tell and from what you've mentioned, this is uh this is your first year with Windsor. I mean there's there's so much cool yeah. stuff happening in, in Windsor right now. Uh, you know, obviously know. Se- Steph Smith is uh, you know, doing some pretty crazy things. Uh Corey's doing really well. Uh Nick is probably yeah. as in as good a shape as I've seen him in over the past couple of years as well too. Yeah. Perhaps you can you can describe that environment and, and what it's sent to your training this year. It is. It's just a really positive environment. And, you know, I moved back from the U.S. uh, last August and I spent the fall season just training on my own. And I did, you know, all my runs and workouts by myself. And I felt like that just wasn't working for me anymore. So, you know, I started working with the group in February and I met with Gary and he was really welcoming. And, um, yeah, the group, everyone is just so laid back. And when you have 
you know, 15 to 20 people at practice every day. Everybody just feeds off each other. And it's competitive, but we all want we all want the best for each other. And so that fosters a really healthy environment. Um, and even with Steph, like, she has a lot of strengths that I don't have, and I have strengths that she doesn't have. So it's great to have that, and we push each other through um, through some of the tough workouts. And it's a really young group here, which is exciting because it's always nice to see um, a young group develop. And, um, yeah, I mean, just that practice. There's just always groups of people in front of me, and I think that that's really helped help me so be better. It- you know, anyone who's been uh, been following along with your resu- results would see that that you do have a couple of PPs from this year, uh, including in the eight hundred, but uh, also in the four hundred yeah. too. That that seems, uh, yeah. you know, I I would think that you're probably like an eight hundred, fifteen hundred person. But uh, you know, what what kind of inspired you to jump into an open four? I was just it was towards the end of the season, and you know, Gary's like, we can do a six hundred meter time trial at home. Or, you know, you could go to Guelph and they're having a 400 if you wanted to, you know, see what you could do there. And I just, you know, there's not really a whole lot of opportunity to do 400s, uh, especially an open four. And so I just thought it'd be fun just to have lactic, that feel that lactic burn for a lap, just because maybe that would help me run a second or two faster in, the, in my final 800 meter race. So, yeah, I just went up there and I learned how to start in blocks the day before and uh, it was pretty challenging like I really I knew starting in blocks was it's a whole um it's a almost like a like an art form to it but um I I was my start was terrible I'm sure but um it was just good to do something different and I almost felt like I was doing a different sport (laughs) but um but it was really it was good like it I think it helped me um it just put me in an uncomfortable situation and I think that um, that's good for not only the physically, uh, the, the physical aspect of it, but just being a better athlete, you know, it's good to have some diversity. And I think next year I, I probably like, I'm, even though I didn't run very, I ran a 58 seconds, but, um, it's not obviously very fast, but I think next year I would be totally open to running a couple open 400s just to see, you know, how fast you can go. Cause it's fun sprinting all out for a lap. You never really get a chance to do that when you're a distance runner. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Everything's so tactical. Everything's so tactical. <laughs> I mean, speaking, speaking of tactics, uh, this year at the, at the Canadian nationals, uh, you made the finals, which is, uh, you, you know, I think that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. You know, looking at, looking at that field, I don't think there's, there's been a time, uh, within my memory, that that the Canadians, uh, you know, fifteen hundred has has been as deep as it is, and um, you know, again, re- reading through your website, you know, you're kind of you know tossing that between, okay, well, making it to the finals in the first place would be amazing, but before that, you're like, well, could I win this? Could I could I podium at it? Yeah, describe to me the the mindset going in, and you know, really where you felt uh, felt you were. Yeah, so going in, I knew that I was really fit, um, but then again, you know, I'm, I was in a new training program and a new coach, so I really didn't understand what a lot of my workout times meant, so I felt like for the majority of the season, I was going in pretty blind, but I think that's a good thing, right? It's, that's what happens mm-hmm. when you change environments and you, you know, incorporate new aspects into your training, and that's, I did a lot of that this year, so um and I haven't been at nationals in probably, I think about three years. So because of injury and sickness and, 
and a lot of other stuff. So just me being there um, was a success in my mind. And I was ranked 10th going in. And they were like, like you said, it was, it was really deep. So there was, I think, seven or eight women who have run under the 410 mark before in the preseason races. So it was, like you said, very deep. So I felt like if I made the final, it would have been a success. Um, but then you still, you know, like I said, after that London night, I just felt like, you know, maybe, you know, if I can be with Kate, who's one of the best, um, then like maybe I do have a shot of, you know, putting myself in a position to be successful. Um, so yeah, and the semis went and I was never more nervous, um, than I have been in a long time. And so I just, I felt like that that may have um, affected me a little bit more than what I anticipated, but I ended up qualifying for the final and, and I got the job done, which is the main thing. Um, and the final, I felt like I ran okay. Like it, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but it, I just felt like I ran timid. Um, and I felt like if I would have been, you know, the gun went off and it was a really slow jog, which, which is, you know, part of, part of racing. It was pretty tactical, but I just felt like if I would have, put myself in there more and have been more aggressive towards the beginning than I would have, I could have placed a little bit higher. Um, but me leaving that, that race, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about what I need to do in the future to position myself better. And so I took a positive, a lot of positives from that experience. Oh, so definitely. I learned a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, looking ahead to fall, you, you talked about, uh, you know, maybe getting some, some cross country and, um, mm-hmm. I mean, like you, you ran a four, you ran an eight, but you know, yeah. wh- where do, where do you feel that, uh, that cross country fits into your training and, um, you know, like what, what do you feel you get out of it? I haven't run cross in, uh, in a long time, but you know, my first love in running is, is cross country. So I just think it brings out a lot of grit in athletes and it just, it's a different type of hurt and a different type of pain and a different type of mentality that I think is really health, uh, healthy to develop because sometimes when you're a miler or you're in a mid distance runner, everything is so, you know, you're just almost obsessed with your watch and there's pacing is so important and, you know, you can't go out too hard. You can't go out too fast. And with cross country, you kind of just lay your fitness on the line, which is something that I really enjoy. Um, and I've had, some success in cross in the past and so I'm just curious to see you know what I can do to to just elevate my my mile uh, my mile time in my um, 800 meter time next year because I think if I you know put in some really good miles this fall and um, you know race some 5k 6k in in the 10k uh, then you know I could it could maybe help me um have some really strong times next year and maybe open up a bit quicker than I did this season. So, um, yeah, I think it just sets me up for having just a really good indoor and a really good summer next year, which is, you know, the goal. So, you know, one thing that you mentioned is with the new coach, it's, uh, it's tough to kind of gauge where your fitness is at. Now I, I know with some coaches, they, they like to throw things in like, you know, 500 meter repeats or 300 meter Mm -hmm. repeats. Um, you know, just so their, their athletes don't really have a whole lot of ideas. I actually have, um, Alex Hutchison's book here as well too. And he, he kind of discusses that as well too. Uh, you know, where maybe ditching the watch or, you know, 
switching up the interviews or the intervals and stuff like that can can really do good things because you get kind of yeah. stuck in that mental rut is that something that that you feel was kind of a factor in the season I think so um but I think it was a positive thing for me I I mean obviously like we all run with stopwatches and um you know every interval for for the track was you know timed and, and had a purpose but there was just no data, right? So the, these were the um, so there was nothing to compare uh, my workouts to for previous years because I just joined the group. Um, so and you know Gary's our, my coach. He's not the type of uh, coach that gives you a lot of confidence. Like he lets you find your confidence within yourself, which I think is a really good quality uh, to have. And so um, I left workouts just sometimes thinking, well, I ran that really hard, but I'm not too sure if it was good or bad. <laughs> um, but it was good. Like, it, I think it really helped me put things in perspective. And then once I felt good racing, which I, I did this year, like, I don't think I felt um, like the races weren't a struggle like they were in previous years. And so um, I think I really responded pretty well to his, um, to his workouts. So it was, uh, yeah. So I think it really helped me come back. Okay, so this year you got you got to watch Nick and Corey and the, and the rest of the team mm-hmm. win the Terminal Mile Cup. Now for yeah. our final question, I have to ask you, you know, take a look at, around at your team right now. You are building your team for next year uh, for the squad that they'll go there. Who's running what leg? And uh, yeah, tell me a bit about them. Male or female? Female. Okay. Oh, geez. I don't know if I should, if I could, if I'm the good person to answer this. I, um, I've actually never met, the only um, female runner that I've met is Steph Smith. Hmm. Um, so I can't, I can only speak, um, you know, to her and, and myself. Um, but for the men's team, if I were to make up a men's team, that would be a whole nother thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, unfortunately don't know. Um, we have a lot of uh, first year is coming in this year and we have some returning so I'll be excited to to meet them and learn more about them but yeah so but I hope we can have a female team um in it next year it was awesome to watch it was exciting well I mean like I think if we're pulling from the all-stars here I mean I think Melissa Bishop you could I suppose she's an Ottawa Lion but I mean like she's she's pretty much yeah she is I mean, she's, you know, and you have Noelle Montcalm there, too. She could run your 400 leg. I don't yeah, know. Sure. Oh, we have Noelle, yeah. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I guess. Oh, so we would have, yeah, so myself, maybe Steph, Noelle, and then we would need um, maybe one of our first years, first years could step up and run, um, run an eight or maybe a mile. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't put Steph in at the mile? Um, I don't know what we would put her in. You know, she's really fast. She's faster than what people think she is. So I would probably put her in the eight or something, or maybe even the 1200. Yeah, I think she's, she's fast and she's really gutsy. So she'll just run as hard as she can until she crosses the line. So she's always a sure bet. Um, but yeah, I would either put, put, I would put in something shorter than the mile just because she's, she's fast. But I think I would probably put her in the eight if I had to pick. All right, well, Harbor Track, if you are listening, the hat has been thrown into the ring. 
Windsor will be there next year, although we're not exactly 100% sure on who's going to be on the team, but they're going to be there, and they're coming for that title, so you better watch out. Sefaldia yeah. is is back after um you know a, cu- a couple of years of of maybe you know a little, a little more of a low profile and it's it's been a lot of fun to watch you come back this year and hey you know I think I think 410 is totally within shot uh next year and and I hope you do it. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Chris and Steph, as well as to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at The Terminal Mile. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, tracky.ca. Thanks to you for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Mm-hmm.